0: Okay, so we're launching, as um, I alluded to already, this brand new series called Tomorrow People, and uh, are you stoked? I know, I know I am. So let's start with a little fun, because this is our first week, and so I thought I'd start with a quiz, okay, and so I'd like someone uh, to come up here on stage and be my first uh, volunteer, Um, and um, and here's the deal, I'm going to ask you some questions, and you can keep going. Until you get one wrong, and then we're going to find someone else who can come up behind you, okay? So, um, who wants to volunteer to come up, be a part of this? Daniel, come on up. How did I know it would be you? Okay, so take this microphone, and we've got uh, these questions here. Is it on? Should be. Okay, so here we got these questions. You put the first one up here. The 80s hit starred, or this 80s hit starred, a Canadian-born actor and featured a DeLorean on the part of its movie cast. Name the movie. Back to the Future. Okay, okay, now that was kind of a drop-dead easy one. By the way, if you know the answer, don't yell it out, okay, because that kind of spoils the fun. All right, now here's one that's just a little bit tougher, okay. In Orson Welles' classic 1984, who was the main character? I don't know, but I know the plot. <laughs> you know the plot, okay? Does anybody know it? Does anybody? Come on, you literary people out there! What? Very good. Come on up. You're the next. You're the next. Gord, see, you did it to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> But you showed yourself to be incredibly literate this morning, and of course, the big byline of that, uh, that book and that movie, uh, Big Brother, is watching you, so don't worry, this isn't too scary, Gord. Um, okay, next one. Question, this dark movie version of the future is based on one of Canadian, uh, of Canadian Margaret Atwood's novels. Name the series. Handmaid's Tale. Yes, yes, very good, very good, big, popular HBO series. Um, next one, next question. Name the 2015 fairly forgettable movie starring George Clooney, which was about the future. I've seen it. I don't know the name. Okay, anybody know it? See, nobody wants to say it now because they're going to have to come up. Okay, just yell it out. Tomorrowland, okay? Tomorrowland was the name of the movie. So I need another uh, another volunteer who's willing to come up. Karen, come on up. Since you are... um, you're standing for elder now. You've got to be up in front of people a little bit more. So at least now you know who Karen is when her name comes up later on at the congregation meeting. Okay, so here's the next question. Name the Hannah Barber futuristic family that first aired in the 60s and featured a lovable dog named Astro. Oh, that'd be the, um, the Jetsons? The Jetsons, yes, very good. Okay, next one. This popular musical featured a girl with red hair and a song entitled... Tomorrow. Annie. Annie, very good, very good. Two for two. Here blank. Hint, it's another name for the future. Now? Here now? Here now. I was looking for hereafter. Oh. Hereafter. So, okay. Now would be the present. <laughs> hereafter? No. Here oh, the here now would be the present. That's true. Okay, one more volunteer. Eric Sinan, come on up. These last ones are pretty easy. No pressure. Okay, in German, what is the day after tomorrow? No idea? Okay, where's Alan? What's that? Ubermorgen. Okay, I'm going to give you a pass on that one just because that was kind of tough, okay? So, Ubermorgen. Question, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in its petty pace. Name the play and the author. No? I'm good with numbers. Oh, good with numbers. Okay, what's the square root of, no, never mind. Um, Does anybody know? Macbeth, and the author is Shakespeare. Okay, oh, Eric's off the hook now. Oh, Leroy. Leroy, just do it from down there, okay? Here's the next one. Question: An amazing message series using the title "Tomorrow People" was done by an amazing church in 2019. Name the church. <laughs> <laughs> I can say what it is. The river. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. All right, just a little fun at the top end of the series. Um, I want you to know: several years back, a, a book really changed my life. It was uh, at the beginning of my career as a pastor, and I was one of those um, keeners. And my mentor at that time handed me a book. And he said, read this, and then we'll talk about it. And being an obedient mentee, I did. And it really blew my mind. It's, it's this book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. How many of you just incidentally have read this book? Okay, a few of you, which is good. In the second chapter of the book, and this really intrigued me, Covey invites his readers to do a little mental exercise that I'm going to ask you to do today. He writes, imagine yourself at your own funeral three years from today. I mean, you're a participant in your own funeral. I mean, it's, it's a pretty sobering thought all by itself, right? So maybe just close your, close your eyes for a minute and just kind of imagine that. And I want you to imagine that everybody you know and love is there. And someone hands you a program, and you notice that there's going to be four eulogies about you. The first is from your family, your immediate family, but also your extended family, children, brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces, aunts, etc., etc. And they've come from all around the country to attend, and a word is going to be spoken on their behalf about you. The second speaker is one of your friends someone who can give people a sense of, of who you are um, relationally, who you are as a person. The third speaker is from your work or your profession, and they're there to, to share you know, whether you were diligent or not diligent, whether what, kind of, what kind of person were you at work. And the fourth person is from your church, and they're there um, to talk about who you were in terms of your spiritual community. And then Covey asks this question, and um, I'm gonna put it up for you this morning to make it just a little bit more impactful. He asks this question, now think deeply, what would you like each of these speakers to say about you and your life? What kind of husband, wife, father, or mother would you like their words to reflect? What kind of son or daughter or cousin? What kind of friend? What kind of working associate? What character would you like them to have seen in you? What contributions, what achievements would you want them to remember? What difference would you like to have made in their lives? Again, a pretty sobering thought. Now, if you've read the book, you know that the whole point of this exercise is to begin to think about today in light of tomorrow. It's to ask yourself the critical question, what's the end game here? Where's my destination? Who, who am I trying to be? The brilliance of, of Covey's book is that so many of us don't actually take time to do this. To to think about where we're headed. The truth is, it's so easy to just get caught up in the activity trap, if you know what I mean. To be working and climbing and striving and and sweating. But to not really think about what we're we're trying to accomplish. And, And Covey uses a kind of an intriguing image here. He says, what if... You're climbing and, 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 and a ladder, and, and you're climbing it your whole life, but then you get to the end of your life only to discover that it's leaning against the wrong wall. Again, he writes, People often find themselves achieving victories that are empty, successes that have come at the expense of things they suddenly realize were far more valuable to them. People from every walk of life, doctors, academics, actors, politicians, business professionals, athletes, and plumbers, often struggle to achieve a higher income, more recognition of a certain degree, or professional competence, only to find that their drive to achieve their goal blinded them to the things that really matter most, and now are gone. See, uh, you see, that's, that's kind of the, the whole point of this message series, T- to help you think about your life today in light of eternity, to help you to become a tomorrow person. Now, I am not saying that, that it's, 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 it's bad to live in the present. In, in some ways, it's important for us to be fully present with the ones that we love, with our community today. But in this series, I want to encourage you to, be, to genuinely become someone who, who chooses behaviors in their life, who chooses action plans in your life that lead to your best future. You need to know that we live in a culture that doesn't do this. We live in a culture that's all about the now, and not the now in the good sense, but just the now now, right? Right? This summer, um, I had a chance to go with uh, our kids to the shoe shop for kind of an extended long weekend. It was sort of the end of the summer, and um, there's a floating store in the shoe shop if you've ever been there, big yellow building, and they threw a kind of a concert for everybody on the lake at the end of the season, and they had a couple bands up there. Now, first of all, you need to know that um, it's very disconcerting to be there with about 100 different boats, um, all with people who have been drinking excessively. It, it, it's a kind of, a, it's a little bit of a, you've got to have your head in the right space, right? But, but I, it's always in moments like that that I take a moment just to kind of look around and ask myself, who are these people? Why are they here? I mean, besides just listening to music, Right? And, and there was this palpable thing in the air where it was like people, they just, they needed, they were loading so much into this moment, right? Some had spent thousands of dollars on a houseboat. Some have, had spent, you know, thousands of, uh, well, no, it was hundreds or thousands of dollars on, on, on whatever accoutrements that they needed to have with them in order to have a good time in this moment. And, and everything was about the moment, right? It was one of these, woohoo Right? Now, again, there's nothing wrong with having fun, but it occurred to me in that moment that this was kind of a little microcosm of how our culture functions nowadays. People are living for today, they're living for the moment, they're living for the experience, they're not thinking about tomorrow. Our culture, um, in our culture today, people don't save. A full one-third of households in Canada saved zero towards their retirement last year. When asked, three out of ten Canadians say that part of the retirement strategy is playing the lottery. Not a very good strategy. People dispose of relationships today like they're changing underwear. The prophet Hosea was describing us aptly when he said, They break all bonds. They break all bonds. As a species, we're burning up the planet and consuming in a way that is in no way sustainable for life here on Earth. On Friday, 100,000 students in Manhattan went on a climate strike. Said one of the students, adults today are selfish and they don't care about the planet or our future. People consume things like food or alcohol or drugs like it, like it won't have a long-term effect on their body. And then when something bad happens to them, they're like, why God? People rack up debt at an unbelievable rate because the stuff I want today, the experience I want today, I want today. And that's more important than the future. And then before too long, they find themselves trapped by credit card companies. You know, what's the old mantra? I'd rather burn out than fade away, right? I mean, that might work at a rock concert, but it's not a strategy for life. I want you to take a moment, and not just this morning, but in the course of this series, to think about how you are really living, the choices you are really making, and if your ladder, in fact might be parked against the wrong wall. Okay, now this is where I want to bring Jesus into the equation because here's the deal. No one, no one in history was more dynamic in challenging us to think about our future than Jesus. One of the main themes of his teaching could be summarized as begin with the end in mind, which is the title of today's message. Begin with the end in mind. Just sit down maybe you want to do this at some point in this series and read Matthew 5 or 7, which of course is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, and in this incredible sermon, this incredible teaching, he's talking over and over again about, about choosing to live in the light of eternity, making decisions today based on the reality of the kingdom. What did he say? The time has come. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And he meant, the kingdom of God has come near in me. Repent and believe the good news. Because when you understand that, you live differently. You realize that there is no greater priority in this world than learning to live under the rule and reign of Jesus. Now, this morning... um, as we introduce the series, um, I'm going to talk about what Jesus taught in kind of a broad way. And, and it's important to understand kind of these, these big categories and how they get applied to our lives. But then in the weeks to come, we're getting a little bit more specific. And we're talk, going to talk about areas like anxiety. We're going to talk about areas like, like fear and treasures and a, and a bunch of different things. And, and how you can become tomorrow people legitimate tomorrow people in these areas of your life such that you will thrive in the way that God wants you to. But let's talk about three big ideas that Jesus taught about when he was here living in the light of eternity. The first is this. You have a soul. You have a soul. Now, I've talked about this before at the river and this might seem obvious to you, but if you really think about it, it's absolutely huge. When Jesus was here, one of the most profound things that he said is this. What does it profit a person to gain the whole world but to lose their soul? Now, right off the hop, we need to acknowledge that there's lots and lots and lots of people nowadays that would say exactly the opposite of Jesus. They would say, no, you don't have a soul. That's just some made-up religious BS. They would say, you are a material being. And that's it. And one day you will shuffle off this mortal coil. They will put you six feet under. And that is it. But people don't live this way. They really don't. People don't marry that way, people don't parent that way, people don't work that way, people don't even talk that way. You know, there's a reason, friends, that in virtually every culture throughout the ages, people talked about an afterlife. They named it all kinds of different things, but, but a vast majority of humanity throughout history believed it existed. And here's why. Because deep down inside, we all know that we have a soul. We know that there's something deeper going on in this life beyond what we can simply see, hear, taste, or touch. This week I was listening to um, an incredible podcast, uh, Dr. Mary C. Neal, and and it blew me away. And she talked about an experience, something that had happened to her in 1999. She was on a kayaking adventure in Colombia in South America and in a very, very uh, remote and rural place. And her kayak actually went over a waterfall and she was submerged in the water for almost a half an hour and she was clinically dead when they pulled her out. And in that half an hour it's fascinating when you listen to her. She describes, she describes an experience of the afterlife. Now, what's fascinating about this is that this woman comes with such cred- credibility because she's a medical doctor. And, and um, she says in the talks that she gives, and she now gives talks in all sorts of different places, that there was a big part of her scientific, you know, soul that didn't want to believe in this, that didn't want to believe this experience, that tried to explain it in a different way, but she could come to no other conclusion than the fact that what she had experienced in that moment was nothing, nothing other than heaven. And, and she, as she describes it, she says, I didn't want to go back. And some things were, were revealed to her that later on were confirmed in terms of how her life unfolded. And... and, and Within a half an hour, I mean, to be dead, to be clinically dead for a half an hour, and then after a half an hour, to open your eyes to start breathing again and to have no brain damage? That's nothing short of a miracle. And you know what? I did some little investigating work in this um, this week. She's not alone. There are literally, literally, Millions of people that have, in some way, shape, or another, described an out-of-body experience, an afterlife experience. Now, they, they range widely. There's no doubt about it. But you think about that. If there really is no life after death, why is it that consistently, across almost every culture across the world, we continue to have, over the years, these experiences that people have of dying, and if, in, you know, if it becomes possible for them to come back to their body, they actually describe something that they experienced beyond the grave. And what's interesting about what um, Dr. Mary C. Neal talks about is how it changed her perspective. She said, it completely changed my life. Because first of all, she said, now I don't live in fear of death. In fact, in some ways... Given what I experience, I welcome it. But she also realized that in her life, there needed to be an incredible new purpose. That that every moment between what has now been sort of restored to her into her physical life in this body, and the day that she dies again, because she'll die again, she wanted to make pregnant with, with an understanding of who God is, and that there is a life beyond this one. Jesus taught that you have a soul. What's more, he taught that it's the most important part of you. And and it's being formed through the decisions that you make every day. You are becoming something, either something monstrously beautiful or monstrously devoid of beauty. He taught, in fact, that this life is preparation, training, if you will, for the life to come, That's why he said this, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. Why? Because there's no greater priority than that. Don't you realize, friends, that that this is part of why Jesus did something as radical as, as to come to earth to die and then to be resurrected again? I mean, of course he died to, to pay a debt that we could never pay in terms of human sin and depravity, but, but part of why he came back from the grave was to show us that there is life after death, that death is not the end, the grave is not the end, that you have a soul that will go on even after you die physically. And one of my favorite movies is, is Gladiator, and um, it's a, it's a wonderful story. I mean, as far as I'm con- concerned, it's got everything. Great war sequences, great music, a love story, great protagonist, great antagonist. Um, Russell Crowe is incredible. Um, but one of the themes of the movie, and maybe you remember this, is this statement. What we do in life echoes in eternity, right? And you know, he's right. He's right about that, but you need to know that he didn't just come up with that. That's not a Roman philosophy, okay? It's a very Christian idea. This is what Jesus taught, that this life ought to be lived in the light of eternity. What does it profit someone, Jesus said? To gain the whole world, to win every battle, to win every political outcome, to be rich. What does it profit a person to take hold of that in their life but lose the most important part of them? And the answer is nothing. Tell me, what is the trajectory of your soul? Are you paying attention to it or or are you just living for today and for yourself? And, And here's one way that you can tell. You can ask yourself this question year by year, am I becoming a more loving person? Am I becoming a more generous person, a more kind person, a more joyful person? Because if you are letting Jesus form your character, if you are letting Jesus through the power of the Spirit form himself into you, that's what inevitably will happen. But if that's not happening, then the converse will happen more and more. As years pass, your life will become about you and about your own, your own possessions, about your own triumphs, about your own accomplishments, whatever that looks like for you. All right, how about the second big idea? And again, this is not going to come as a shock to you, but it's this. Your primary purpose is to love people. Your primary purpose between here And when you go to meet your maker, is to love people. Now, all kinds of different people, whether they're Christians or not, would would agree with this principle. If you walk down the street and, and you said, do you think love is the most important thing? I think a lot of people would say, absolutely it is. I mean, duh. But see, it's one thing to say it. And it's another thing to practice it. And you see, Jesus knew this. He knew this. He knew that there are so many things in our life that can get in the way of us loving people. There are so many things that we can end up letting run us that we can end up sacrificing people on the altar of our own getting ahead. Are you with me? I mean, for many people, it's power. It's gaining the ability to have a say, to decide on policy, not just for your own life, but for the lives of other people. And and see, that's the main problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees in his day, right? He said, you've wrapped yourself in this, this veneer of religiosity, but it has nothing to do with loving people. In fact, it's preventing you from loving people. Your religion is all about building your own little kingdom. It's about control. It's about your own advancement. It's about you. The truth is, and this is still true today, it's so easy to use people. It's so easy to see people just as a a means to an end and not an end in themselves. Jesus invited us to think about what is the most important commodity that we have to work with, and, and he told us it's people, the people in our lives who are made in the image of God, in the image of God. Just think about that. Beyond money, beyond the agenda of business, beyond the agenda of politics, these are the ones that we need to care for. Now this, again, Jesus knew this, is a, this was a challenge for us. Jesus said, blessed are the poor, and we're like, oh, really, Jesus? But aren't they kind of a tax on reality? I mean, a lot of them have issues, right? There's a reason they're poor, and I'm not. What about survival of the fittest? That's a, it's a valid, valid principle. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, you mean the people that are depressed? And down and out, you, you want me to love them, to spend time with them? Those who are struggling in their spirit, people with mental health issues, you want me to bless them? Don't you understand that that is going to take a lot of effort in my life, and I'm busy enough. I have things to do. There must be somebody else who'd be willing to take care of them. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn ah, oh, those folks are so needy, right? And they're no fun to be around because they're, they're crying and they're sad all the time. And you see, I'm a positive person. I need to stay positive, so that's not for me. You see how this works? You think we should love people? Of course we should love people. Okay, would you love that person over there? Well, not them, Right? You know, there's a passage in the book of 1 John that always haunts me. And the Apostle John writes this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friend, now listen to this line. Since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Tell me, what's going to last into eternity on this front? Now maybe you're wondering, okay, how do I know if I'm making progress in this area? Well, a few things. First of all, look at your schedule. Look at your schedule. Have you carved out time for loving and serving people? I mean, for example, tomorrow a bunch of folks are going down to the food bank to help out at the food bank. And I've been there several times and it's a mundane job. I mean, it's basically putting food into a box and palletizing it. I mean, it's not super exciting or anything. But, but it's a thing to do to tangibly show that you want to love people It's making yourself available to do something for which you get no reward, or no immediate reward anyway, other than the joy of of being able to help. See, 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 you won't start magically loving people unless you start to build it into your schedule until you start putting the food bank or children's ministry or youth ministry or hospitality or acts of service in the community into your schedule. You will always be too busy to help and love people. When you live in the light of eternity, you make it a priority, right? People are the most important commodity. Relationships with people is what we carry into eternity. Here's another thing. Look look at your prayer life. First of all, I hope you have a prayer life because prayer is one of the best ways to remember every day who you are and who God is inviting you to be. But then practically, who are you praying for? Is your prayer life a laundry list of things that you want God to do for you? Or are you interceding on behalf of others, loving people with your prayers? Another thing, look at your finances. Are you giving regularly and consistently to the work of God in the world? We have a budget meeting after the service today, right? And this church does a, a whole bunch of different things, including what we're talking about this morning in, 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 in bringing Syrian refugees to Canada. But we can't do those things unless people organize themselves, strategically look at their, their finances, the way in which God is blessing them, and say, I want to bless. That's going to be a priority to me in terms of how I handle my resources. In a couple of weeks, On Thanksgiving, we're going to take a special offering for our Community Assistance Fund. And maybe that might be a great place for you to start. All right, final big idea. And I'm going to move through this one uh, a little faster. It's this. Don't be afraid to suffer for what's right. Don't be afraid to suffer for what's right. And here's the thing. To live in the light of eternity... The fact that this reality, that my life, your life, that every life is subject to a higher reality, to the kingdom of God, and then to choose to live accordingly, let me tell you right now, no word of a lie. You choose that, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Uh, We had a fellow this week call Byron in the office in order to warn him about the Antichrist. And I told him, Byron, maybe God is sending you a message. You better, better clean it up a little. And uh, just, just kidding. Um, but this guy kept calling and calling and calling and, and it became kind of uh, a real hassle. Um, and so I said, well, why don't you just let him give you whatever he wants to give you? Just, you know, so that'll, he'll get to do the thing that he wants to do and then he'll be happy and feel like he, he did the work. And uh, so that's what Byron did. And he came and he, he gave the piece of paper to Byron and then he just turned around and walked away. Mission accomplished. And afterwards, Byron asked me, he said, so what do you actually think about the Antichrist? I'm like, oh, big subject. Um, but I said, listen, just I'll give it to you in a, in a thumbnail, okay? When people tend to think about the Antichrist, they tend to want to associate it with a particular person in history. You know, one single person, right? And the truth is, it's probably not the best way to think of it. Um, the Antichrist is all that which opposes God in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, over the centuries, there have been a variety of people who have, you know, who have incarnated as a force for the Antichrist. And you might be able to think of some of them Hitler, Pol Pot, Stalin, folks like that, right? But but generally speaking, the Antichrist, all that, all that which opposes the coming of the kingdom of Christ. Now, what that means is you have an enemy. You, you have an enemy, you have someone, if you want to stand, if you want to speak God's truth, if you want to live in the way that God wants you to live, you have an enemy that's going to fight you every step of the way. And you may even, if you have to stand in certain situations, you might suffer. Because there are going to be some things that you say, I'm sorry, that's a line I can't cross. No, I can't fudge the books. In business and be okay with that because it's wrong. Right? It, no, I, I, I can't support this particular uh, political movement because of what it stands for and the damage that it's doing in people's lives. And when you do that, you come up against forces that are that are strong. And will oppose you, and you may even have to suffer. But now listen, again, Jesus knew this, and here's what he would tell you in this moment. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Remember what he said. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now let me end with this. There's an amazing passage in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And the apostle John is granted a a vision of the end. And what does he see? He sees myriads and myriads of people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathered around the throne of God. And they're worshiping God and they're enjoying the gift of new life that, that they have received in Jesus. And an angel takes John aside and he says, who are these people, John? And John says, only you know, right? In other words, tell me. And the angel says this, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now understand what this is saying. These are people that have come through. The great tribulation. So what Jesus is saying is sometimes in this life, if you want to stand for me, if you want to stand for the kingdom of God, if you want to stand for truth, there will be tribulation. And on account of human sin and all sorts of other things, you're going to feel some of that. There will be tribulation. But, but, this is the vision. That place and space that my prayer, we will all meet together at, at the end of time before the throne of God. This place where the shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus, will come and be in our midst and lead us to living water. And every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. No more tribulation. No more of the challenges of this world. And when you let that vision capture you, when you let that vision lead you And and cause you to make priorities in life. You've made the best decision ever. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for a big picture reminder of what's happening in human history and who you're calling us to be. None of us here this morning want to get to the end of our life and have climbed and worked and made decisions and did all sorts of things only to realize that our ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. Help us to understand and prioritize the things of the kingdom. Your love, the people you give us to love, the church community, being people who give generously, who love magnanimously in this world, help us through the power of the Holy Spirit resident in our lives, to do that and to live that way, to live in the light of eternity. Teach us today and in the coming weeks as this series unfolds. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.